Well, hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC, coaching you in the word. We're glad to have you. We're going to embark on part eight of understanding how to win in spiritual warfare. We're glad to have all those of you from around the country who download our podcast and those of you from around the world who do the same. We would love for you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or you can message us through our Family Fellowship Chapel Facebook. Well, let's have a word of prayer and get into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the Word. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we could see our ears, that we could hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. And then that you would allow us to apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. We yield ourselves, surrender ourselves, and sanctify ourselves, Father, today to the ministry of the Word of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak and use me to minister the Word from Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, who is in the throne room of God today prepared to minister. We thank you for it all in the name of our Lord and our God, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, let's begin today understanding how to win in spiritual warfare by looking into our foundation scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on the things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think again that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Now today I want to begin this with two scriptures that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 to begin this session. The first one is in 2 Timothy 2.4. He said, No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The second is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved, Unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I woke up this morning early in prayer, and <clears throat> the concept of words, words, words was coming through my spirit. And as I began to look into that, it dawned on me that we live in a world full of words, but a world that has very little of the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Preaching has become a business of the wordsmith, someone who can yarn a story, 
but no demonstration of the Word of God. Paul said, don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Then he said, strive not about words to no profit. Study to show thyself approved. Often we become so focused on the affairs of this life and the battles that seem to encompass us that we lose sight of the one who has chosen us to be a a soldier. Paul, beginning in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, he began it with such an important statement. He said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's telling Timothy to be empowered and to be at rest in the character of Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus Christ, the description John gave about him in John chapter 1, that he was eternal, he was personal, he was creator, he was life, he was light, he was illumination, he was salvation, he was glory, he was grace, and he was truth. I wrote about those in my book, I Surrender, and I'd love to have you have it. But he's telling Timothy that there is an empowerment and a rest in Jesus Christ and that he can execute from his personality the four phases of grace. Now, you remember them, their favor influenced the way God does things in the open heaven of judgment whereby the promises of God that are in Jesus Christ, our high priest, Lord and God, are revealed and released. Now watch this. When the term Christ is used here, Paul is referring uh, to him as the victoriously anointed one who died, was buried, and buried the flesh, then went to hell, rose from the dead with a new body, new garments, and the keys of death and hell. In him is all of the grace required for any believer to keep himself in the condition and position of being a victor in the battle with the affairs of this life. So our victory is in Him as He provides the grace that releases strength. Remember He told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, For my grace is sufficient, for when I am strong, when you are weak, I am strong. Or He provides the grace of the promises of God. All of these things, these gracelets, come out of the character of Jesus Christ. Grace is not a standalone word. It is who Jesus is. Then he can produce for you the promises of God that the word of God declares that all the promises of God in him, Jesus Christ, are yea and amen. Realizing this now, you no longer have to toil with the affairs of this life from a fleshly perspective. You overcome the affairs of this life by your ability to identify with Him. Now, God has given us five names. Jesus Christ, the High Priest, the Lord, and our man in the Godhead. And He has given us ten character traits of which I've already expressed to you that we can look to to find our victory and to identify with so that our soul can be crucified and buried and that we can come into an identity identity with him in one or more of those names or character traits. 
In order for any believer to live the alive life in which Christ's resurrection has provided, they must identify in the victory of anointing that is available from the resurrection for your personal ability to win and live a victorious life. To do that, you're going to have to study the Word of God and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and this is your spiritual life at stake, friends. It is your ability to bring your flesh under the control of a soul that has been transformed from selfishness, you remember the works of the flesh, to a soul that operates in the character of Jesus Christ, His names of High Priest, Lord, and God, and then into the character traits of Him being eternal, personal, creator, light, life, illumination, salvation, glory, grace, and truth. Victory, of course, is not an easy thing. It's always found in the detail. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to find a victory in sports or in life or in spiritual matter, matters. The answers are always in the details. Those that live on the voice of others or the instruction of others are those who will make the attempt to live life by those voices and unfortunately, in most cases, those voices are all half-truths. They are living on another's personal revelation, and that revelation being given to someone else for their specific needs. If you're going to understand how to win in spiritual warfare, you're going to have to understand how to get into the details of the Spirit of God, of God's Word, Live under the direction of the Holy Spirit and be led, guided, reproved when necessary, and given what to say whenever having something to say is required. You're going to have to find the answers in Revelation for you specifically. When we, will, when we understand that our Lord and our God is personal to us, he wants to deal directly with you and instruct you directly to give you the meaning of your need directly. He wants to show you things to come. Now, I'm not talking about things that preachers say all the time. God's about to. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Not what I say. Read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, and you're going to see some things in there that are going to reveal the plan of God for you. And you're going to hear him say to the disciples, I can't tell it all to you now because you're not ready for it. But there's going to come a means whereby you can be ready. You're going to have to find revelation. You're going to have to locate it on your own. You cannot live off of someone else's revelation. Now for years, preachers would say, you can't get saved and go to heaven because your mama, daddy, or whoever, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt, uncle, whatever happened in your house, they were saved and they're going. Well, that salvation has nothing to do with you. It is a salvation that is individual. Well, my friend, if salvation is individual, then your ability to win in spiritual warfare is every ounce as individual. You're going to have to come into your revelation of truth. How are you going to get it? Well, you're going to not entangle yourselves with the affairs of this life. 
You're going to study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. This is a personal thing. It is not someone else's revelation that makes the difference. Now, that revelation can do some things for you, as we will speak about in just a few minutes. But the revelation of Kenneth Copeland or Kenneth Hagen or Oral Roberts or A.A. Allen or any of the great men that brought revelation into the sphere of Christianity, particularly in this country, those revelations must be fleshed out by you as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If we do, we will understand that our Lord and our God is personal. His idea is to deal with you directly. Paul said it. He said the mystery hidden from the foundation of the world is Christ in someone else. No. He said Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wants to instruct you. He wants to deal specifically with your needs giving you dynamic revelation. He wants to show you things to come, not because I'm saying it, but because that's what Jesus taught. If we live off others' revelation, guess who reaps the reward of that revelation? Well, suffice it to say, it would not be you who is hearing another's revelation. Now you would say, what? Well, their revelation is a personal revelation that was meant to be theirs, friend, not yours. Now, someone would say to me, well, now, wait a minute, Pastor. The Word says faith cometh by hearing. Well, you're absolutely correct. It most certainly does. But did you read the rest of it? And hearing by the Word of God. Hearing by the channel or act of the Word of God. What am I saying? The Holy Spirit was given and provided by our man in the Godhead for each and every person to be able to receive communication directly from the throne of God. Directly from the throne of God. As a matter of fact, grace and mercy, according to Hebrews chapter 4, are produced this way. You can, and more than that you should, be in receipt of your own direct commands that apply to your life and to the meeting of your every need. It is through this communication mechanism that Paul would state, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Most believers simply accept what a speaker or a teacher says concerning a subject and apply what they have heard from that speaker to their own life. Well, you know the general concept. They say, he's a man or a woman of God, therefore, I receive it and agree with it. Well, okay. Uh, why not do this? Why not try the Spirit according to what John said in 1 John 4 and 1? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they're of God because many false prophets are going out into the world. Well, pastor... It has to be of God because he spoke directly to what I needed. <laughs> okay, well, now here then goes the next question. Did they speak to your needs or did they speak to your lusts? That's a good question, isn't it? Did they tell you a biblical truth that your spirit resonates with or did they touch your emotions? Did they give you sound doctrine or did they twist the scripture to make the words speak the things that they knew you wanted to hear? 
Here's the greater question. Now listen to this. If you're going to win in spiritual warfare, you're going to have to be willing to take whatever is stated by any man of God. You're going to have to go to prayer. You're going to have to go through the prayer process of, of dying, burying, resurrecting, becoming a priest, walking into the Lordship, and then hearing from God the release of the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. You're going to have to go through the process to find out what the truth really is. Now, the question is, are you willing to seek God for the revelation so that that revelation becomes personal to you? Are you willing to meditate on the word to see how it directly applies to you and your distinct situation? Are you willing to study the scripture and trace the path of the word of God to see if the revelation has been correctly rendered? See, this thing is not about what you're being taught. It's about the revelation that you are coming by as you personally work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Are you willing to hear from the Spirit the commands as they directly and specifically relate to you? Now, friend, here is where most people fall off the train. The train, the train runs off the track at this point right here. Now, why is that? Because we cannot hear from the Spirit unless we are in tune and touch with the Spirit. So someone says, well, that resonated with my Spirit, did it? Or did it resonate with something you want? Because you, unless you are living in, walking in, talking in, praying in the Spirit of God, your, your spirit is saved, but your soul, your mind, will, and emotions are still ongoing. And those things may not have been sanctified concerning the specifics of what you are thinking that you need God in the most desperate way to do for you. Therefore, if you're out of tune and out of touch with the Spirit, He's not in you, on you, and upon you. You're not filled with the Spirit. Then the things that come towards you can sometimes resonate with your mind, will, and emotions and with your lusts. And the next thing you know, you have gone off into what you consider to be a spiritual maneuver. And really what it is, it is just your flesh rising up. That trick is an old trick, and that trick will lead you into the depths of despair, frustration. Because why? Because you will not see God honoring that. What does this all of this mean? Well, we've, if we've been taught to rely on the Holy Spirit from the perspective of what He's done for us in the work of being saved, as many have in this day, all we know about the Holy Ghost is that He saved us, and we think that's all there is to His activities. What a waste, by the way. We will never live in the understanding of His office and role as the creative spokesperson for who, the one who gives the commands that our Lord and our God is providing from His position at the right hand of God. Now remember, the first thing that occurred when he was seated, when he was taken in the second ascension back into the Godhead, the first thing that he did was he released the Holy Spirit. What was that for? It was so that he could communicate with each one in a distinct way. For what? So that they would know what he wanted 
what he was commanding into their life. Now, we need, our spiritual life requires, and our physical life must be led by the commands that Jesus Christ, the high priest, the Lord, and our man in the Godhead bodily, gives to us through the Spirit. If we eliminate this relationship, my friends, winning in spiritual warfare will be most difficult. With that, I now want to take a look into what Paul meant when he made the statement, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Why? That revelation must be understood in view of the context in which Paul spoke it. Now, I want to preface this by saying the revelation can be a revelation to whoever the revelation is given. But the context whereby Paul spoke it, well, that's pretty important that we understand. My desire as I share this series, this complete series, is that people learn how to win in the battle for spiritual superiority. In order to do that, we must be clear in our understanding of what the Word says and what it means when it is read. We must understand what the Spirit is saying and what He is commanding when He is speaking. Our teaching and preaching world tends to make statements that include Scripture as if the Scripture had no context to which it was related. Therefore, people begin to quote the Scripture as if it had a what I call stand-alone value. This seems as though it would have no problem, but uh, in reality it is quite the contrary. No scripture will stand alone without being appropriately related to the scripture that precedes it and that follows it. I've heard people quote scripture and apply it to almost everything. The outcome more often than not is frustration. People wane away from a God that they suppose is not true to his own word. In that regard, our disorganized method of teaching and preaching has served to be a disservice to the people of God. Now again, my goal is victory over the battle with the attack of the flesh and the attack from the demonic. So in order to give you the best instruction possible, I refer our teaching to the man who was the greatest writer, teacher, and demonstrator of his day until, even until today. Shortly, we're going to hear from Brother Paul. Brother Paul has a revelation that we need to understand. It's not my revelation. It became, becomes my understanding. It's not my word. It's Paul's word. I got the understanding. I received the understanding as I meditate, pray on it, think on it as I seek his word and follow the path and journey with Paul. Now, as I closed the session last time on this topic, I made a comment that is regularly made by those who choose to follow along with the messaging of people who construct the word of God in ways that agree with the methods, doctrines, or beliefs of which they espouse. The listener will not know what is being taught if they simply listen with an ear of open approval. This here says, surely he's a called man of God and he or she wouldn't lead us into a teaching or doctrine that would not be in perfect accord with the word of God. So, what do they do? Well, they then, those that hear, begin to quote the word as if it's an absolute. They've identified with it and it becomes their reality. They throw their complete support, meaning 
attendance, giving, assessments, tithes, work, and all their future growth upon the acceptance of that message. They give no time studying the Word, meditating in the Word, or questioning the doctrine or the message. They place no emphasis on looking into the life of the speaker. Now, what good would this do? Well, it would tell you from what perspective the life of the speaker is devising his or her interpretation of the Word. What's that mean? If a preacher is living the lavish lifestyle of a Hollywood star, is constantly invoking tithing and giving in his or her ministry, it becomes quite clear why this message is being preached. Someone would say, but they infer that we will get if we give and that God is all in it. Yes, they do. But what is not stated is that for you to amass the wealth of which he or she waves before your face and gives the credit to God. Now watch this. You must also amass a group of men, women, boys, and girls to give their means to you. So the process is to tell people they will get rich and get them in mass to send their money to you. Now unless they have the skills to assemble a ministry of the same sort, communicate the messaging as effectively as the prosperity preacher, they have only one supplier. I would say that he is not a slack supplier. God is good. He is going to supply your needs according to his riches and glory. But what does that mean? Let's take a quick look into Philippians chapter 4 on a verse-by-verse basis. In verse 1, we should stand fast in the Lord. That's Paul's opening message in verse 4. Leadership must always be in agreement. Work together with each other for the common good of everyone. Be full of cheer, rejoicing, and be well in the Lord. Be well off in the Lord. Be full of cheer and rejoicing and be well off in the Lord. Be appropriate and be patient in His Lordship. Don't be anxious for anything. Have no care and take no thought of concern. Pray about everything. Make your petitions known. Be thankful and live in gratitude. Tell the Lord what your requests are. This posture brings peace and it will keep your soul paying attention to the correct purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Paul uh, has used three names to identify the purpose. He has referred to him as Lord, and then here he refers to him as Jesus Christ. This is all in uh, Philippians chapter 4. I believe I'm on verse 8. Now, with this instruction of a cleared and directed purpose of the mind, will, and emotion, in other words, the soul, Paul tells us what it is that we should be thinking on. He said, think on truth, and these are the apparent truths. These are the truths that are coming through the Word of God, through the Spirit. Think on honest things. These are honorable things. Think on just things. These are acts of character that are equitable. Think on pure things, clean, innocent, modest, and perfect. Think on lovely things, friendly towards and acceptable things. Think on things that are of a good report, well spoken of and reputable. If these things bring virtue, which means excellence, that arises in your soul when you think of them, if these things bring a rise of praise because they're commendable, then you need to com continue to think on these things. Now what happens if you don't think on these things? Then we're thinking and spending time on the wrong things. Now watch, because we're leading up to Paul's, my God shall supply. 
Everything, friend, begins with a thought. All actions and deeds completed began because the person had a thought. What was that thought? It was a thought of personal satisfaction, ambition, desires, or goals. These thoughts can influence our lives for the better, or they can influence our lives for the worse, depending on what we have attached our thought to. For instance, the sinner attaches his thought to the message of freedom provided by Jesus Christ. He identifies with that satisfaction of his uh, uh, asking for forgiveness. His prayer satisfies the process of being forgiven, so he prays and receives the forgiveness he seeks. This is the change that comes from correctly processing and applying the soul to the meeting of our need for a Savior. We're satisfied with the result. On the other side of the coin, there is the drug addict, who for whatever the circumstances found no satisfaction in anything and turned to drugs. The outcome was limited satisfaction to the state of euphoria. Having found a mechanism of relief, they are in fact satisfied. Their body seems satisfied, but this is a limited uh, opportunity and requires additional applications, often more frequent applications in order to obtain the satisfaction for which they speak. Now, both parties begin with the thought life. The first used his thoughts to hear and agree with their need to be satisfied. Both found satisfaction that is instant and eternal. Only one found satisfaction that is an application that fosters peace and a full life. The other found satisfaction in a life of death. Both of these stemmed from man's need to be satisfied. Verse 9, Hear and see and do what you have seen Paul do, and God will be with you and produce peace. Thank you, verse 10, Thank you for caring for me, as you should care for all ministers of the gospel that have been revived. When you have the opportunity, you did what you should have done. Verse 11, Paul speaks in respect or about want, and he says, in whatever condition I am in, in that condition I am content. Verse 12, Paul says, I know how to act when it's good or when it's bad. Notice this, I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. That's what Paul said. Now, here's the man that wrote most of the New Testament. And he says, I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer need. Verse 13, I can be content because I know how. I know how to be depressed due to lack and how to have excess. So I can do it all because I am instructed that it will be that way. But the alive life that is in Christ Jesus strengthens me. I have the spirit of life that is in Christ to focus my thought life upon. I'm not relegated to what I see, hear, or feel. I'm not relegated to the things that my body craves. I'm relegated to the stirring of my mind, will, and emotions with Christ Jesus my Lord. And then being able to find virtue and praise in those things. Now I'm going to stop right there, but we're going through Philippians chapter 4. And we're getting down to the my God shall supply all my needs. And how that revelation has to be looked at, thought at, meditated upon, and become a personal revelation. Now, if you're going to win in spiritual warfare, if you're going to understand how to do it, you're going to have to understand to follow the teachings of the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4 is one of the greatest chapters to tell you what you should be thinking, what you should be doing, how you should be responding. 
You should understand that there's going to be times of, of trouble, suffering, and times of great contentment. Times of fullness and times when you feel may feel empty. But in all of that, in all of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I pray that you will bless it and minister to your people. That we will understand the process of winning in spiritual warfare. God bless our people. Minister. In the name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, Lord and God. Amen and amen. Find him as Lord. Listen to him as God. He will direct you into a spirit of truth that will give you a revelation that will be distinct. It will not be a trumpet that makes a false sound. It will not be a trumpet that doesn't sound good. It will be a trumpet that speaks the sound that is the direct sound to your ear. That's what we're looking for. If we're going to win in spiritual warfare, God bless you until we speak again.